All right, so before we get to the, before we get to the text, um, a lot of things going on. I uh, just want to remind you of them. Um, sun, Saturday, this Saturday, uh, the teens' annual Merry Thanks Christmas party is going on here at the church. Uh, Tuesday, December the 5th, is the Men's Speed and Feed. Um, that's at the Indoor Go-Kart in Boise that we've done it at the last few years. So excited about that and uh, excited about eating tacos and losing in go-kart racing because that's about all that happens for me. And so, um, and then the ladies' Christmas party. This is actually my favorite title for a, an event, a ladies' event that I've ever seen. You know, you got, let come be refreshed. Friendship grows in the heart and princesses and all of this stuff and th this one is actually a gingerbread cookie being broken in half called oh snap and so I have no idea <laughs> what's going on I just hope my wife has some very visual illustrations of that and like how she's going to apply that I don't know I have some ways I hope she applies it but I need to be careful with that hallelujah so come find out it's going to be a snappy good time <laughs> okay anyway and then uh, um, uh, Saturday, December 9th, Mr. and Mrs. T, I have a primary Sunday school Christmas party. And then on Sunday, December the 10th, we do once a year baby dedications and excited about that. If you have a baby that you would like to be a part of that service, or uh, please make sure you communicate that with Miss Carrie. She's right over here. Do not communicate that with me. Communicate that with Miss Carrie. Do not communicate that with Brother Adam. Communicate that with Miss Carrie. Do not tell my wife. Communicate that with Miss Carrie right over there. So, Miss Carrie, can you raise your hand so everybody knows who I'm talking about? All right. I'm just having a good time. Love being at church. It's a blessing. Thankful for you. Thankful that we get to be here. Nehemiah chapter 2. So, in preparation for what this is not working, it's on. There's a green light. Do you, want me to, do you want me to come get the other one, or do you want to bring it to me? Do you want to bring me the whole new thing? So, brother, this is pretty comical. Brother Adam and I were just having a conversation about sound guys, that you never notice them until something goes wrong. <laughs> but, so just try a different box. Okay. That thing is anathema something. Testing, one, two, praise the Lord. Our sound guys do a great job. They are a blessing, and I sure do, sure do appreciate them, Brother Scott, and um, all the guys that work back there. Such, uh, such a blessing. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 2, um, we're getting ready to announce, um, hopefully announce, <laughs> um, what what is coming and I'm, I'm so excited about that and just have a desire to to go over some some things in Nehemiah that are helpful as you enter into a season like this but the these truths are not limited to a church that's going through a growth process the, these truths are valuable to your life where you're at right now right now you say, well, you don't even know where I'm at, but God does, and these truths are valuable to where you're at right now. And so, I'm, I'm obviously, I hope it's obvious, I'm going to be making a lot of 
It's just not working tonight. Um, I'll stay at, I'm going to do some, this will be good for me. This is good. I'm going to limit myself to the pulpit tonight. And some of y'all don't even think I can do that. I need somebody to bring a chair up here for me to stand in later, so. <laughs> it's, yeah, okay, thanks, Brother Nate. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 2, let's stand. Nehemiah chapter 2, thanks for standing to honor God's word as we read it. Verse number 1, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. He felt intimidating fear now you know if you know anything about the nehemiah nehemiah book of nehemiah nehemiah was not a pansy he was he was not a timid man there's a reason he was very afraid here and yet more than the fact that he felt fear and the reason that he was afraid i want you to notice how he responded in verse three and said unto the king get this I was sore afraid, and I said unto the king. So the fear was real, but it wasn't paralyzing to him. Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He's standing there. And I don't think this means that he got on his knees and lifted up his hands to heaven. He's literally looking at the king and saying, God, I need your help right now. Brother Ed, have you ever been preaching and asked for God to help you? <laughs> it's like, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing right now. You're like, how can you say that? Well, because you hit moments where you re realize, man, I really need God's help. Let me ask you this, mamas, have you ever been holding your baby or dealing with your child and thought, I really need the help of God right now? Amen. Husbands, have you ever been talking to your wives or wives to your husbands and thinking, man, I really need the help of God with my tongue right now? True, Brother Brian? <laughs> we need so Nehemiah asked him. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. I want you to get this thought, that the good hand of God was on him. God was in what was going on. 
But Nehemiah never would have known it if he hadn't been willing to speak up. Here's the, here's the, the title. Be ready to step up. Be ready to step up. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. So you know that I like sports, and then you also know that I laugh at people that play sports. And my kids know that I laugh at them. They also laugh at me. And I just think you ought to be able to laugh at and be laughed at. In a world that is losing its mind in political correctness, we are allowed to laugh at some things. <laughs> and so I laugh at t-ballers when they strike out. Like, how dare you? I mean, it's, it's sitting there. <laughs> I, I just want to say this to parents. If your kid can't hit a immovable ball <laughs> that has been adjusted by the coach to be right where they can hit it, that child doesn't need to be playing sports. No, I'm not saying they don't have ability. I'm just saying it's not that. And you need to be okay with it. And also another suggestion, don't go spend $500 at a sporting goods store on baseball equipment when you don't know if your kid can hit a ball off of a tee yet. <laughs> Man, I'm offending people right now. It's, got, it's not even in my notes, but this is really helpful. So you say, you're, you're really arrogant about that. Have you ever struck out at slow pitch softball? Oh, dude, man, we were at college campus last year. I want to play this game with our church. It's called one pitch, meaning that you literally only get one pitch. And you have to be ready. It's a fast-moving game, a little bit of risk, which makes it more fun. It's just happening. And it, it, and it doesn't matter if the pitch is a good pitch or a bad pitch. You get one pitch. And, man, all these college kids, a lot of them because of our time on staff and and other things that are like, they know me. I get up there like, I am going to destroy this ball. And I look like a clown. <laughs> Swing and miss. And people are losing their minds. Not in sympathy. <laughs> and you say, do you regret laughing at T-ballers? <laughs> no. <laughs> Got to be able to handle it. It's, it's a bummer. To have an opportunity and then to realize, I wasn't ready for this. That opportunity was right there. And I missed it. Opportunity to share the gospel. Opportunity to live by faith. Opportunity to forgive. Opportunity to move forward and to have hope. An opportunity to be used of God in a world that needs it and to realize I just wasn't ready. Winston Churchill, one, I believe, one of England's and the world's greatest leaders, not a perfect leader, not a leader about whom I endorse everything or even know everything. But he said this, to each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment 
finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. I'm afraid that many of God's people watch opportunities like a slow-pitch softball or like a ball on a tee. They watch so many opportunities slowly pass by and they either stand there paralyzed not knowing what to do or they recklessly and carelessly swing with no hope of ever making contact, with no hope of ever having success. And look, I'm not talking about God doesn't give us second chances. We serve a God of, of, of a thousand chances. We, th- we serve a God of great grace and great compassion. But there are, in fact, in reality, some opportunities that when they're missed, you don't get them again. There are words that you can't take back or say again. There are invitations that you can't give. There are prayers that you can't say. There are opportunities to invest that once they're gone, they're gone. Nehemiah has a burden. He knows in chapter 1 that what needs to be done. And in chapter 2, God opens up the door in a miraculous way. For Nehemiah to fulfill a significant part of his purpose. Get this. Nehemiah had a purpose. You remember Esther? Which doesn't predate this book by a whole lot. That's an interesting dynamic in itself. Mordecai said to Nehemiah, Esther, who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. No, Nehemiah was exactly where God wanted him for a purpose in which God was going to use him. But Nehemiah had to be prepared for it. He has the opportunity to intercede with the king of the the world superpower at that time. It's one thing for God to set Nehemiah up in this way, but it's another thing for Nehemiah to be prepared to step up. Here's the statement. I normally give it to you at the end, but I'm going to give it to you at the beginning, and we're just going to build out of it. I'll repeat it at the end. When God set him up, Nehemiah was ready to step up. Do you have the visual of the T? T-ball, you got the visual? Okay, so different sizes of of T-ballers on the team. And And when a taller one or a shorter one comes up to the plate, man, that coach will adjust it. There is a God in heaven who has a purpose for your life. No, you can think, man, I don't understand everything that's going on. It just seems like a bunch of random movements and I'm hurting or I'm confused. I'm scared. I'm unsure. There is a God in heaven who works. And you are not here in this place, in this season of your life, by some random alignment of things that you don't understand. There is a God who is able to work all things together for good to those that love him. And he has a purpose for your life. And you can come up with all of the reasons why you are limited or you don't understand or what God can't do. But you don't know the limitless reach of the power of the God of the universe. And he has a purpose. And he, in his wisdom and in his timing, will set it up for you. But you got to be ready to swing. And there are far too many people we get set up for. I'm not saying you're not saved. I believe this about me. 
believe this about far too many of God's people. We will stand before our Savior and have to look back. I wasn't ready to swing or I wasn't prepared for how to swing and I completely missed. And when you set me up, I wasn't ready to step up. So what did Nehemiah do? I believe there are things that we can see in his interaction with the king that demonstrate how he was prepared when the moment came to step up. Just, this isn't even in my notes. This is just a side note. I'll kind of deal with it in a minute. You're, you remember the, the part where I highlighted that he was afraid? Being ready to step up doesn't mean you have everything figured out. No, in that case, none of us are ever ready to step up. Okay, it's like married couples, newlyweds who say, we're going to wait until we're ready to have children. <laughs> oh, you're like, do you really laugh at people that say that all the time? Not even sorry. Like, they're going to cost more than you think. They're going to cause you more sleeplessness than you think. They're going to weigh on the heart of your life for the rest of your life. Like, I just can't wait to get my kids out of my house. Yeah, because then you're going to stop caring about them. And, and, and you're just never going to be stressed out about what they're doing or the direction. Oh, man, we're just we're waiting until we're prepared. <laughs> so funny. No, see, it doesn't mean you have everything figured out. Oh, but oh, this is beautiful. God does. And it's not your job to have everything figured out. It's your job to be, to be as prepared as you can in the ways that God gives you. This isn't about perfection. This is about doing the best by his grace with what you can control and trusting him that even with your limited, your limited resources or abilities or reach, that he is going to take what you can do and do what only he could do with it. All right, so number one, how was Nehemiah prepared? Number one, he was patient in faithfulness where he was at. Okay, I didn't say he was patient and faithful. I said he was patient in faithfulness where he was at. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. That was a high office with regular access to the king. Had to be a man of great character. Had to be someone that was trustworthy. Can someone remind me in a word how Nehemiah ended up in this pagan kingdom, kingdom working for a pagan king when his homeland was being destroyed? What's the word? Starts with a C. Captivity. Thank you, Miss Jess. No, he's there under the judgment of God. And yet I got to remind you, even when circumstances are bad and you failed or your family's failed or things are hard, God is still working. Hallelujah. Nehemiah didn't sit there and say, hey, I need different circumstances to be useful to God. He recognized that it's my responsibility to be patient in faithfulness right where I'm at. We also know that this was in the month Nisan. This is four months after Nehemiah heard the truth about the city. He prayed and waited for four months before he said anything, before he had opportunity to say anything with a heavy heart. He patiently was 
faithful in what God had given him a responsibility to do, what God had put right in front of him. Okay, I'm going to try to remember to do this with every point. First, let me apply it to the building. We cannot think that we will love people better if we have more room or different facilities. If you won't love people where you're at, you won't love people with something that's bigger or nicer or has more capacity. In that case, it's just more capacity to not actually love people. Like, well, it's really crowded. That doesn't limit God. And it shouldn't limit your ability to love people. Well, our facilities, they're not as nice as others. That should have no effect on your passion to worship God and your passion to lift up your voice. You think if something happens and we're able to have some things that are an improvement on what we have, that that's suddenly going to create a heart for God in you? If that's the case, you are far more materialistic than you want to admit. Our heart for God cannot be determined by the building that we meet in. What are we supposed to do? Look, my preaching is not going to change if this is the only sanctuary God ever lets us have. You say, well, what if the church grows and we have a bigger sanctuary? Still going to preach the same by the grace of God. Still going to preach the same Jesus and the same Bible to people who need to know that God loves them and has a desire to have a relationship for them. we got to be faithful. It's not like Sunday school teachers are suddenly going to become more faithful if they have soundproof classrooms. And I love our teachers' patience and faithfulness. There, there is nothing around here that is soundproof. I mean, y'all hear Miss Rhonda and those ladies in there cackling and whatever they're doing. And they hear y'all in here doing whatever y'all are doing. And then out there, you got, you got the Connect class with Brother Feevi going at it and the Engbergs and they're... I mean, who knows what they're, they're singing out there, and y'all are trying to take prayer requests in here. And y'all think you have it bad. Just walk down the hallway sometime. I mean, you got Miss Nicole's class, and that's like a stampede. Like, ah! And then, and then you have Miss Tina back there, and Miss Tina is the stampede. Like, ah, let's go! It's Sunday school! You got Miss Megan's class with all that energy and brother and Mrs. T. I mean, those kids go in there. They're stressed out for the test that they're going to have that day. And there's weeping and wailing. And then you got the youth department with brother Robbie and all of that insanity. And everybody hears all it. And then we haven't even talked about the nursery. Man, I'm up here preaching on Sunday morning and some kid is wailing back there. And I'm like, Lord, please help that baby to stop right now. You think you're suddenly going to be faithful because circumstances get a little easier? That's not the case. Uh, Let me encourage you with this. You're struggling in your marriage. Well, I would be a better spouse if my spouse. No, no. You're struggling in your loneliness. Struggling in your singleness. Struggling in your heartache and in your loss. Struggling in sickness, struggling in job uncertainty, struggling in the fluidity and the unpredictability of life. And we often look at circumstances and say, well, if my parents or if my friends or if my job or if my school or if that person at church or if this economy or if this leader, my friends, if we won't be patient in faithfulness where we're at, 
we are unprepared for what God would do in our lives. Can I? We got a lot of people working through job stuff. I hope you pray for them as you know about them. You got to be patient in seeking God for what you need to do. We rush to conclusions based on our wisdom. We assume we know best and we say we're trusting him, but many times we're just asking him to bless what we're doing without much thought as to whether or not we should do it. Can I give you a verse that should affect so much of your life? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. No, seek it first for your bank account. Seek it first for your children. Seek it first for your retirement. Seek it first for your career trajectory. And all these things will be added unto you in the way that you need and when you need and how you need. Number two, he had a walk with God that helped him when he needed it. Let me say it differently. He maintained a walk with God. That, may, that helped him when he needed it. The king noticed his sadness and sorrow. It was against the law to be sad in a king's presence because they took that as a sign that you didn't appreciate your glory, their glory. And so like, how dare you be sad? That's an indictment that you think my glory isn't great. And so many times they would execute you. <laughs> Man, all you kids need to be thankful for your mom and dad right now. Would you come in here looking all sad like that? Bud gets it, and the rest of you guys are just kind of staring at me like, I don't think they agree with that on TikTok. Whatever, I'm just telling you. Nehemiah was afraid because he realizes the severity of this, but he wasn't paralyzed by the fear. He was ready to answer. Faith doesn't mean that you'll never feel fear. Faith doesn't mean you don't feel emotion. Stand by a casket. Well, if you had faith, you wouldn't be sad. That's ridiculous. No, believers still mourn. Believers still miss. Believers still hurt. It doesn't mean you don't feel it. It doesn't mean you're not afraid. It doesn't mean you're, you always have absolute confidence. But it means that those emotions do not paralyze you it means that those emotions do not dictate the direction in which you live your life. You still move in the direction that God is wanting you to. So he gives the report, and the king asks what he wants. And I love this. When the king said, what do you want? He, he prays. Literally, you can pray in a moment. The prayer wasn't one to excuse thoughtlessness. Or a lack of previous prayer. It was just an, another demonstration of his recognition that I need God your wisdom and your help I'm depending on you many people miss opportunities because they wait to walk with God until the opportunity presents itself they go the wrong way and I I've had to I've had to learn this lesson that not anything not anything bad I just I remember there there have been financial decisions that you know how you can, you can feel financial pressure? And, and other, other people will be telling you, you have to make this decision now. And, and literally, I can take you back to moments in my life where I, I was told, you have to make this decision now. But in my heart, I'm like, I need to wait and I need to seek God. But rather than listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, 
And they're like, well, you're going to miss this opportunity or this bad thing is going to happen. Rather than submitting to the word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I just acted and later regretted it. And far too many people make serious decisions without filtering them through the principles and truth and guidance and leadership of the Holy Ghost and the word of God. You say, I, I want to have a walk with God that when the pressure comes, I can, I can call out to him and discern his voice. Well, then you got to be walking with him when it's not all this pressure. Can I remind you, may I remind you, please, of a parenting approach that we have implemented and that I teach in our parenting class? If you expect your little children to sit still in church, practice that at home. N not in a, like, man, I'm just mad. No, but, but practice having church at home when the pressure's not on. And then learn to teach them the, the significance of consequence. When the pressure's not on and people aren't looking and you're not feeling pressure yourself, practice at home what you expect in public. That's a good principle whether you like it or not. It is a good principle. To practice in private what you expect in public before the pressure is on. You know what else is a good principle? Walk with God before the pressure is on so that you can walk with God when the pressure is on. No, I've, I've been convicted of this. I'm convinced of this. We run to God in desperation when we should have been walking with God every day. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't run to him in desperation. But you should have been seeking him on a regular basis before the desperation arose in your life. And I'm not even saying that God doesn't help when we've neglected him. He's a gracious God. But it can have consequences can't have consequences. Number three, Nehemiah was bold in what he asked for because of who he was asking it of. He didn't just say, hey, you should help us out in a little way. <laughs> he said, I want, I want help that actually makes a difference. Okay, I forgot the building part. <laughs> Uh, apply it to number two. I'm not going to take the time. Um, actually, that's not true. I am. Okay. Look, look. No, no, get this. If, if, if we want God's help in a process, we better be seeking God before that process begins as a church. Okay, number, number three, he was bold in what he asked for because of whom he was asking it. Nehemiah, he, he says... I want the help that makes the difference. Give me supplies, give me letters, give me protection, give me freedom, give me the authority to do this work. I look at, I love verse eight. And the king granted me. Huh. You know, it would have been a bummer if he had asked for way less. And black, man, I could have had more. <laughs> I, I love this about our building. That vision wall out there, I never stood up here and said, I know this is what God wants to do. I know God wants us to have some goals and to try to reach as many people as we can. And it seemed like we were at a dead end with what we could do here. I've been very transparent about that. 
And so you say, you really think God could give us 10 to 15 acres and $10 million and all that? I do. No, I really believe that. You say, why? Because here's what I believe about God. At a point in his existence, which has always been, he said, let there be, and there was. <laughs> no, I really believe that. No, no, scientists or Christians that try to argue, well, God used evolution, or I believe in God, and I believe in evolution. No, 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 you're rejecting a critical part of the whole word of God. That, that, that God didn't just like, oh, see this thing happen and decide to get involved. God caused this thing to happen with the purpose of being involved. No, I believe it. I'm not ashamed of it. I believe it, that a literal personal God chose to give an intentional life to this amazing creation, and the crown jewel of his creation isn't any part of the animal or natural part. It's you, meaning the plants and all of that. No, it's you. You, you bear his image in a way that nothing else does. He values all of it. No, I believe that. That's pretty. Look, I'm just saying, that's a pretty legit, amazing God. So if I believe that, and then we didn't even talk about redemption. Mm. I'll go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> no, that creation rebels, and he says, nope, I'm going to fix it eternally. At no expense to you, you just have to believe me and receive it. Oh, that God, I'm going to be like, I'm not sure you can give this to us. Do you really believe the Bible? No, do you really believe the Bible? This is not a storybook to me. This, this literally happened. And you have people today that look for reasons to explain away miracles at the Red Sea or what happened with Noah's Ark or other that Jesus, he merely fainted and he was revived. No, he was literally dead. And the Red Sea literally was parted. And Noah was saved with his family when a flood consumed the entire earth. And dinosaurs did exist, but not billions of years ago, just thousands of years. And if you were willing to apply the science in what you know to these things, it would be so obvious. We serve a great God. So I don't want to be guilty of under-asking. Nehemiah is sitting here talking to this king. And he's like, well... Could you maybe, could you maybe just like help out a little? He's like, dude, I work for you. You like rule the world. Or what we know of it. I'm gonna go big. Okay, so our building vision out there hasn't happened yet. I'm going somewhere. This is what's also amazing about God, is that he can do big things with something that seems to be very limited. And he can open up doors that you didn't know existed. <laughs> and sometimes he still wants you to get to that goal, but there's going to be some steps that you have to go through before you get to that goal. Just like with the children of Israel, I'm not going to take you right to it. I'm going to take you through some steps so that your faith can grow. And wouldn't it be amazing if we never left this property, but through miraculous small ways over and over, God just keeps doing his work right here in a less than ideal location because I love the building. I'm thankful for the building that God has given to us and it doesn't limit his greatness. So what are you saying? You should keep praying for that person to be saved. 
you should probably not give up on that. You should keep praying for the gospel to open or to go into other countries. You should believe that God can use you in greater ways than you think. No, well, pastor, you don't know. (laughs) You're right, but I know him. No, I know him. I think it's 2 Kings 5. I don't, I, I, I might randomly just preach on this. I'm just studying this chapter right now. I think it's 2 Kings 5. Naaman, maybe. You know, I'm fascinated with that little girl's life. You don't know her name. You won't know her name. But God used her in an eternally significant way. She's only mentioned in that chapter. And yet that one interaction changed the eternal course of Naaman's life and opened the door for the work of God to go forward in that kingdom and in that time through the prophet Elisha. Man, so don't, don't tell me what God can and can't do with your life. How about, how about you just say, God, I would like to be as useful as you would let me be. By the way, going back to point number one, if you're going to be greatly useful tomorrow, you need to try to be greatly useful today. Last thing, be willing. Nehemiah was willing to be involved in the labor. He said in verse five, if it please the king and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest read the next two words out loud. Oh, come on. Verse five, Nehemiah two. What are they? Okay, I'm going to wait. Go to it. I'll read it again. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me. I love what Isaiah said. Here am I, Lord. No, send me. No, if you want God to do a work, you should be ready for him to want you to be involved in that work. (laughs) Okay, you know, this whole... You're like, well, we, you know, this church thing's coming up, and yeah, there's some people that should be involved. Right. There are. All of us. <laughs> It'd be in different ways, but we all should be ready to be involved. You know the thing about working and serving God? It's inconvenient to what you got going on. No, look, Nehemiah had a cush thing happening right there. Look, he literally, he could have just... Closed his eyes and said, not my problem. No. In the words of our love, beloved David Hetzer, an MP, not my problem. Not my circus, not my monkey. All the different ways you want to say it. This is not my problem. Oh, but Nehemiah couldn't get away with that. It is your responsibility. You know, I already know this about you. Bibles in Samoa, you, you, didn't, you didn't sit there and say, well, that's somebody else's problem. No, God, we want people to have their word. Then God is going to have your word. God is going to say, well, if you want my work to be done, you need to be ready to be involved in it. No, no, look, in, in every miraculous intervention that happened in Scripture, there was always a human effort that was involved. Where God said, look, I'll do certain things, but you're going to do what you can do, and you're going to obey me in certain ways, and only then will I begin to do the things that only I can do. Can I give you another example? Like, man, I really want them to be saved. Can I ask you a question that's asked in Romans? How shall they hear? 
without a preacher. Oh, yeah, see, it's your job. No, that's not, that's not talking about a pastor. That's talking about a messenger. You know what I'm convicted by? And, and, and there are exceptions to this, but I'm convicted about sometimes praying for people to be saved that I could have witnessed to and didn't. I'm not saying I shouldn't pray for them. But maybe like, I really want this person in my family to be saved. Here's my question. Have you ever tried to talk to him? Well, I just don't know how. That God, doesn't, God doesn't accept that. I have a friend that really needs to be saved. Have you ever shared your testimony with them? No, no, you don't have to have the verses memorized. You just have to know what Jesus did for you. Have you ever taken the time to sit down with your friend that you want to be saved and say, hey, can I tell you about the single most important thing that ever happened to me? No, no, we, we say we want God to do things, but then when it comes to us being involved, we're like, well, I mean, maybe them, maybe them, maybe them. I mean, wait, I, I tell you this, I want West Valley to send out missionaries. I want that. You know what I need to be willing for to God to do? To call my own children if he sees fit. No, and you say amen to my children, but you need to say amen to your own children. No, that, that's sweet if the pastor's kids are going to go into ministry. You need to be okay with it if God sees fit to do it in your kid's life. Oh, yeah, that's great. We're going to have a building. You know what that means? We're gonna, there's going to be some effort that requires people to work after they get off work. You know, you know what I do late at night sometimes? It's been a while. But I, I'll go ride my bike at night. Like, I, too much to do during the daytime. They make bike lights. So while some of you have been sleeping. I'm up in the old Wahis at like midnight riding my mountain bike out there. It is cool, Miss Bev. You and Brother Scott can come if you want to. Like, what, what's your point? We make time. We make time. He's got, you got to, some things you got to sacrifice for. If you want God to work in your kids' lives, you got to sacrifice to have a relationship with them. Mom and Dad, do you realize that you represent God to your kids? Like, I want God to work in my kids' heart. Then what are you showing them of God? Man, I really, I really want God to, to do something in this situation. I want God to help in this situation. Then what is it that you need to do to be involved? Here's the statement, and then I'm done. When God set him up, Nehemiah was ready to step up. Based on this list, when God sets you up because he wants to, he wants to. Are you going to be ready to step up? You got that T visual? Look, whether you know it or not, God is trying to set you up. Not to fail, but to use your life. Young men, young women, I know it's hard, but God is using this season of your teen years to set you up. And even in your teen years to use your life. Like, I don't understand or like everything or agree with everything. There is a God in heaven who is trying to set you up to be useful to him. So when he does, will you be ready to step up? Look at the list and maybe something else God brought to your attention and ask yourself, are there areas where I am not being prepared to step up?
Are there areas where I am not preparing myself? Am I not being faithful? Am I not confident in God? Am I not walking with him? Where do I need to do a better job to be prepared to step up when God sets me up? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We need to step up in our marriages. We need to step up in our parenting. We need to step up as teenagers. We need to step up as Sunday school teachers and deacons. We need to step up as musicians. We need to step up as servants. We need to step up as employees and employers. We need to step up in loss. We need to step up in failure. We need to step step up in forgiveness. God gives you an opportunity when he sets you up will you be ready to step up I'm, I'm just asking are there areas where God convicted you tonight that you're not making the most of the opportunity to be ready that's the question are there areas where you're not making the most of the opportunity to be ready every head bowed, every eye closed would there be anyone that would raise their hand and say yeah that's me, I'm, I'm not you know, I, yep, yep and let's talk to him. Some have already come. Look, look, I know, I know you can sit there and talk in your seat, but sometimes it's just good to come to an altar. Talk to him. Humble yourself. Get up. Come. Come before God and talk to him. Brother Nate's going to begin to sing. Let's all stand together. While, we, while Brother Nate sings, you respond to the Lord.